In this video, my special guest and I are going over all of our experiences using the brand new Apple Silicon-powered M1 MacBook Pro. What we like about it, what we don't like about it, what works for us, what doesn't work, and most importantly, who should buy it now and who should wait for the higher-end, bigger screen versions coming next. And we're gonna do it right now. Sponsored by Audible. I'm Renee Ritchie, and I've got a ton more on all the M1 Macs coming your way. So make sure you've hit that subscribe button and bell so you don't miss any of it. And joining me for this, the second look at one of the very first M1 Macs, the two-port MacBook Pro, is none other than Jonathan Morrison at TLD Today, one of the smartest reviewers and best videographers in the business. Thank you so much for being here, Jonathan. Dude, yeah, like anytime I can connect with the Renee Ritchie, let's go. We've both been testing out the new M1 MacBook Pro 13-inch two-port model uh, going on a couple of weeks now. And I want to sort of talk with you about what your experience had been primarily because I think a lot of people, especially people who you know, might not look at these, what I would call low-power, lower-end Macs, just because they are new and shiny and Apple siliconed up, are paying them, I think, more attention than they might otherwise. Right. Yeah. No, it's been interesting. I think anybody who's kind of used iPads and seen what Apple has done with their chips like prior to this, I think had an educated guess. And I think that's that was part of my kind of real overall thought process was that is I understand the sentiment of not writing something off before you try it as opposed to, well, you can't say it's great before you try it, but... At the same time, like if you if you've had a an experience with iPads or their chips and you know what happens when software talks to hardware, then you can make an educated guess of what to expect. And I think we kind of knew that. Yeah. I mean, I know some people are looking at these as first generation products, but this is, to your point, 10th generation Apple Silicon. They've been doing this for a while. And if you just looked at what an iPad Pro was doing compared to a uh, you know, Core M or Y series processor. It's been night and day for years. Right. And that's a that's a good way to look at it, too. I think it's it's not a first-gen MacBook, right? It's it's essentially the same shell, and it's not their first chip. I, I think the concern would and could and should have come if it was their first chip, and it was like, hey, you know, they, they used Intel on the Mac side, and then they had third-party chips inside their iPhones and iPads. But it's like, no, like, they've been in the chip business for a while now. Yeah, and I think what surprised me is... I expected this from the MacBook Air, even fanless. I expected this, but seeing it in the MacBook Pro, and even though it's sort of like the MacBook Air Pro, it's the right. lowest end two port model, that was a full on U series. That was latest 10th generation Intel Silicon. And at least in my test so far, M1 runs rings around that as well. Right. No, the MacBook Air, I think, is the. I think the Air and then the Mac Mini are the low key MVPs of this whole mix, just because. Yeah. The MacBook Air, I think, is the laptop most people should buy. If you need the power, you kind of know, and you're going to go to that MacBook Pro anyways, whereas the Air, you know, I've seen some people complain about, well, there's no fans, so there's thermal throttling, but the people who are buying that machine aren't going to necessarily run into those issues where they're going to thermal throttle their laptop anyways, and if you do need a better cooling solution or a cooling solution period, then that's what the Pro is for. Yeah, I don't know about you, but it took me concerted effort to both throttle down the air and even get the fan on the Pro to kick on. Oh, no, it takes a lot to kick it in. I was running like circles over Red 8K raw yesterday on the MacBook Pro. And that's the thing, right, is it's there 
And I think some people may assume that because there's a fan in the pro that it's going to be similar to what we've come to, I guess, deal with in just any MacBook where they just kick in automatically. But you have to do a you have to do a lot to get these fans to kick up and rev up. It's kind of kind of mind blowing. Yesterday, I did MacBreak Weekly for three hours on the MacBook Pro, the M1 MacBook Pro, running Skype, which is an Electron app, which basically means it's just a web app in a Chrome a Chromium wrapper, and, and that hits an Intel Mac like a ton of bricks, and it's running in Rosetta 2 right. on the MacBook Pro. So I did get a battery dent, but I never even got the fans to come on or the computer to be hot. And when I do that with the Intel Mac, the fans are so loud, I have to process the audio in Isotope later just to get rid of it. You know, that that's a big deal. And I, I think sometimes you can't really put a price on that in terms of just like quiet workspace. Because if you try to screencast or screen record or do any kind of voiceover on a MacBook, like forget about it. And I think that's something you certainly can do now on these M1 MacBooks. Yeah, so I think in general, it's a mistake to look at these and say, these can replace my high-end 16-inch MacBook completely decked out Radeon Vega Pro or my iMac Pro or my Mac Pro. But I think it's fair to say that you just get so much more compute and so much more value for the Air and the low-end Mac Pro than you did just last week. I'm blown away with M1, but there are limitations. And as much as I do enjoy it, I think it's tempting to want to go out and run and sell your 16-inch, but there's multiple kind of angles to look at, right? It's not just the ports, it's the screen real estate, it's the speakers. So I think for most people who want to kind of dive into M1, I think the Mac mini is kind of where it's at because it's the most affordable. Chances are you probably have a display lying around. Even if you don't have a fancy 4K or 6K or 5K monitor, you can experience and kind of know if M1 works for your workflow. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And for me in particular, I'm using uh, 10-bit Canon XFAVC footage, and that is... That is just a lot of work, and I get still substantially better uh, render times off the 16-inch MacBook Pro than I do off either the MacBook Air or this X1 MacBook Pro, but on the 16-inch, but on the 13-inch four-port full-out i5 version of the Intel i5 version, it is way behind the X1. So if I had that machine, I would be looking like just all shades of salty and jealous Right. If I was still on the Intel one. But as I scale up, like even the latest iMac, it's I still get better results. For iPhone footage, it doesn't make that much difference. Right. Unless I guess if I, was, if I was doing a lot of hardcore HDR recording, it doesn't make that much difference. But as you escalate the workload, I think you you still do see that difference between higher end loads. Yeah, and it, it honestly depends on the codec, I think, because I've messed with everything from Sony A7S 3 to FX9 to Red 8K RAW. And depending on the application and situation, there are benefits to either A7S 3 FX9. One of the things you're paying for with the FX9 is the better codec, the better editing okay. experience. And prior to Big Sur and M1, H.265 editing is not the most ideal thing. Yes. But it completely changed the game on Big Sur and M1 for me. And it makes the A7S 3 really usable where before it would just really punch the CPU in the face. It would kill your battery. Like, I know it's not technically that, but it feels to me like these are kind of like afterburner machines. Like, if you're, right. if you're running a pure Apple pipeline, it's like jump into warp speed. It, it really feels that way. And to your point, this is only the render uh, where the bigger machine throwing more resources at it helps. 
the quality of life editing on the M1 machine, even compared to my 16-inch MacBook Pro, compared to the iMac, is so much better. I still haven't even seen a beach ball, which is unheard of for me in Final Cut. Yeah, and I think we kind of talked about that offline where, you know, me, we're in this world where 4K Final Cut exports have almost become a meme at this point where it's like the standard, right? It's Geekbench 4K exports. And I think the things that get lost in translation, and I would, you know, relate it to sports where it was someone like Draymond Green or kind of those role players who do the dirty work, who do the things that don't show up on the stat sheet. And the editing experience, one, that's why M1 and Big Sur is so impressive. But I think that's why I tend to lean towards Final Cut, not because the export speeds blow everything away. It's because the editing experience where I can, I can jump in there, I can zoom, I can dance across the timeline seamlessly. And I think those things, I get, they get lost and aren't really shown. I agree 100%. I was watching iJustine do her, her Twitch stream where she was live editing and just the speed to completed work that she can get. Well, also like when she was editing against Taryn, you know, the speed to completed work that she can get right. in Final Cut with those tools uh, is ridiculous. And that feels to me like, because uh, some people are still saying, well, you know, like my my huge render box is faster. And that to me feels like, yes, your Mack truck can haul more load than your Tesla Model 3. Right. But these are the low, again, the lowest end Tesla Model 3 versions of that car. And wow, but the driving experience is better. Back to our kind of discussion of almost having to look at things completely different because I feel like especially on the PC side everyone's used to x86 type benchmarks and kind of looking at things black and white as opposed like this is a whole new it's almost going from seven rec 709 to like HDR where you know I, I get the frustration on the the nerd side because you know we know Apple's graphs they're silly yeah but at, at, at a certain point they're trying to talk to both like they're not trying to convince the hardcore people those people are already writing them off. They're trying to talk to the normal people. And with that kind of in mind, I think, you know, it's really confusing for someone to, well, do you want an i5? Do you want an i7? Do you want yeah. so much more than just cores and hyper threads and hyper threads and clock speeds? Yeah, it feels almost like you're on uh you're on like a nature walk or you're at Jurassic Park and someone's sitting there looking at their calculator and you just want to pick up their head and turn it and say, look, there's a brachiosaurus right. right there. Just experience it. And I that's why my favorite benchmark is always time to completed work. Right. It's like sit down, edit your footage or you know, work on your logic project, work on you, you open up a hundred Google Chrome tabs and start doing your dot. Do whatever you do and feel the experience of doing it. And is it meaningfully different for you? Mini rant. Um, I, I feel like so many people in our space, we have a lot of bright people. Yeah. And it's like they play the part and everyone wants to sit there and critique the MacBook chassis or the MacBook Air or the Mac Mini and say, well, it's the same thing. The tech inside is so small, they could have like made this smaller, but we know a, a redesign is coming. But like we, we talked about before, if you were in the market for a MacBook Air or MacBook Pro this year, like who cares if it's the same body? It's just, it's going to outperform it by miles. So No, I love what uh, Dave 2D said when he's like, you're complaining about bezels and I'm getting 12 hours of battery life, yeah. 20 hours of battery life. And it's the whole thing going back to the one thing I've really noticed with this whole M1 deep dive is there are not really many good monitors that can compete with what Apple has. And I know people are going to get mad at that, but it's just the reality, right? Everyone wants to make fun of the iMac chin 
for the bezels, but most most displays aren't 5K. Most displays aren't 500 nits. Most displays aren't P3. And, you know, not to say that it doesn't mean that Apple doesn't need to redesign it because the iMac definitely looks outdated, but I think we often get looked or wrapped up in things like chins and bezels as opposed to the actual real impressive things in tech. Yeah, I mean, Apple has a, I don't want to call it a bandwidth issue, but they they believe in small teams. And the, the thing about small teams is they focus and produce very good work, but that they never produce a lot of work. And Apple's ID team had to redesign the iPhone this year and the iPad Air this year. And we could have waited for them to have enough bandwidth to redesign all the Macs as well, but we would be waiting till next year. And I feel like Apple... Apple said, we, we have a known target. We know exactly the thermal limits of these devices. We don't have to worry at all about fitting the chips into these. They are just going to fly in these casings. So let's do that. Meanwhile, we buy another year for the ID team to get on whatever the next redesign is. What they delivered is impressive. I just think, you know, people have to experience it and try it as opposed to just writing it off. So what has your experience been over the last week just doing all the stuff that you do, like the video, uh, you're doing you're doing an amazing stuff on Jonathan, your Jonathan and Friends channel with music. How's that been working for you? It's been great, man. Everything from music to video to I've, I've talked to so many people who do After Effects who are shocked where Rosetta 2 outperforms Intel and x86. And yeah. I've been trying to dive in as deep as I possibly can with everybody and everything in terms of Blender, Photoshop. And from my end, for my personal workflow, I would say the thing I'm most excited for is just it opens that HDR workflow. And we we saw it with the iPhone 12 and Dolby Vision. And I think that's important because it puts it in millions and millions of hands. Yeah. And, you know, prior to this, before Big Sur and before M1, trying to work in HDR, trying to output 10-bit files was a nightmare. It would take... Yeah probably two hours. So for me, I'm, I'm more excited to jump into a full end-to-end 10-bit and potentially HDR workflow just because it, it wasn't something you could do before. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the interesting thing like on the productivity side, because I know a lot of people will watch this and go, oh, well, you're a bunch of YouTubers talking about a bunch of YouTube things. Right. But I've been trying to do a lot of productivity things. And I know that there are specific applications that are pain points for people but so far, those applications, I feel like, are the enterprise stuff that you would be under IT management, and right. you would not even be allowed to upgrade to Big Sur yet, let alone to like an M1 computer until your IT department signed off right. on everything, including probably the ActiveX. Yeah, I completely agree. And to that point too, right, is I, I think my general consensus is, like we've talked about, if you, if you need more than two ports, if you need multiple high-res monitors, if you're a business enterprise type thing, like you said, you're not going to be upgraded anyways. And, you know, there's the sentiment of, well, if you're a professional or especially like in the audio world, don't upgrade because of Big Sur, you can't go back. But the thing I've run into most often with professionals who like do this for a living, they have a, they have a, almost a, an archive, a time machine of machines. So yeah. they can go back and they, they keep those sessions and those projects on that machine. And that's, that's the reality, right? You always have to kind of move with the times and not fight it. But at the same time, there are different machines and tools for the job. So if this is your only machine, you know, don't, don't do it yet because there's still a lot of unknown. But like we said, if you're looking for a 13-inch machine or a Mac Mini, like, hell yeah, get one. 
Yeah, like for my everyday editing, I need the 16-inch display at the minimum. I like the IMAX size display because it's just right. there's just so much so much uh, for me to work on. So these machines aren't ideal for me yet. I'm happy to wait for the versions with the M1X or whatever comes out next year that replaces these. That'll be my ideal right. machine. But I have been doing all that productivity stuff, and what I have found is just for doing the meetings, the Zoom calls, the these. I still use Skype because we still use Skype for a lot of podcasting. But doing all those things, yes, Electron is still a big hit. Um, yes, you do have to run things under Rosetta. But the battery still just lasts so much longer and the machines are so much cooler and quieter that I would still chalk it up as a win. So like, I would never replace a big production machine with a small machine just to have it. But wow, do you get so much more value from those small machines than you ever did before. Yeah, and most people who are looking to buy this machine, they're not doing those kind of nitty gritty enterprise type things where you have an IT or someone who runs that department, right? Like you're just doing most things that are already optimized. And, and I get it. There are going to be problems and I've seen Bluetooth issues and I've run into limitations where, you know, I can't use a pro display with a 5k or that's like a very serious thing I would do, yeah. right? Because going to the pro display, I, I think it's most valuable kind of factor about it is it that it is an HDR monitor. I think it's overkill for just a regular monitor, but if you use it as a secondary viewer in HDR, there's nothing close that competes with it. And that's an instance yeah. where I can't do it on the Mac Mini right now. I would have to run a MacBook Pro, use the built-in Mac Pro display as my main kind of display, and then that's a secondary. So, you know, like we talked about, there are definitely limitations right now. And all it means is if this doesn't fit your checkboxes right now, just be excited for the next update because it's going to be awesome. So if, is that sort of your takeaway if someone was looking to you for buying advice, if they're wondering if they should get into M1 now or they should wait? Uh, that, that's sort of what you would tell them at this point? Yeah, I mean, like if you were looking for a 13-inch, you know, buy one, right? It's going to be better than anything Apple's offered in years. And I think it wasn't until the 1299 MacBook came out that it was really a decent value just because I, I would say for a while the 13-inch lineup as a whole for Apple wasn't great. And we kept seeing these marginal upgrades from Intel. We didn't really see amazing integrated graphics and yeah. they ran hot. The fans were loud. But if, you, if you've been looking for a 13-inch MacBook, whether it's Pro or Air, and you haven't bought one yet, like absolutely jump on it. And conversely, if you have a 16-inch or if you have an iMac or you're like really tempted because... Honestly, the M1 13-inch does outperform 16-inch MacBooks in a lot of areas. Grab the Mac Mini. It's, it's the most affordable. The, the beautiful thing with Apple is the resale value is always there. So if you want to kind of jump in and get a taste of M1, buy the Mac Mini, hook it up to a display, see what it's like, and then chances are if you like it, you keep it. If not, flip it. And when that 16-inch comes out or the iMac comes out, that's going to be where the magic is at. Where, where have you gotten so far in your testing and what can we maybe tease out or expect in your review? Yeah, I, I think I've gone deep, super deep, deeper than I thought. Everything from every possible monitor configuration to hubs to external drives to, like I said, everything from Final Cut to After Effects to Blender to Logic to there actually is going to be some Pro Tools stuff. So wow. pretty much everything under the hood. And I think... You know, not as a spoiler or anything, but my my general feel on this, it, as technical as I went into this, my my thoughts and review aren't going to be super technical. Um, you know, I, I could give it in a nutshell. They they Apple delivered. 
It's not for everybody, but we should be excited for the future. As always, you can find the full extended version of this up on Nebula, where you can hear us both chat on just all the tech reviewer drama. But if you wanna hear about the OG, the original drama, I'm talking about the one that had Steve Jobs himself saying he was going just all out war, then check out Dogfight on Audible. Once you hear it, you'll find out exactly who hid Google's involvement with Apple and the iPhone from the Android team. And get this, hid the very existence of Android from Steve Jobs. In other words, yeah, who sold them all out and started all of this. And with Audible Plus, you get full access to the Plus catalog filled with thousands of titles from audiobooks to popular and exclusive podcasts to originals to so much more. And now is the absolute best time to try it out because with the holiday offer, Audible Plus is only $4.95 a month for your first six months. And after that, it's still only $7.95 a month. Visit audible.com slash Renee Ritchie or text Renee Ritchie to 500-500 to check it out now. Just click on the link in the description, visit audible.com slash Renee Ritchie or text Renee Ritchie to 500-500. Thanks Audible and thanks to all of you for your support. For just a ton more on the M1 Max, click on the playlist above. I've got deep dives and comparisons and lots more to come. So click on the playlist and I'll see you next video.